Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Delighted to have you back for another episode. Before we get to it, I do want to just spend a quick moment reflecting it's October and October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. This is an important month for Explore the Space podcast. The reasons why I've all been laid out, um, my wife is a breast cancer survivor. She shared her story on the podcast before, and we like to make sure that we have conversations around breast cancer and breast cancer awareness have some amount of emphasis during the month of October on Explore the Space podcast. So to that end, I do want to call out a wonderful organization called the Breasties. This organization is focused around younger women who are diagnosed with breast cancer, and they provide resources, education. There's a link in the show notes to the website. Please do go ahead and take a look. They're also currently raising funds to do stage four breast cancer research, where there are many opportunities for improvement, and fundraising in that space is critically important. As you're doing that, I would also invite you to check out the wonderful work of a great friend of Explore the Space podcast, Dr. Ann Pellet. She is a breast and reconstructive surgeon in the Bay Area. She's been on Explore the Space before. She was on last year for Breast Cancer Awareness Month. You can look at her website. Two great places to learn more about breast cancer, to learn more about Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and to think about and reflect on ways you may wish to contribute to the work to eradicate breast cancer as we know it. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to that. It's really important to me. It's important to Explore the Space podcast. It's important to many, many people who are reflecting on the impact of breast cancer this month and every day of the year as we all go forward together. Having said all of that, I am super excited about today's episode. We've got Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris and Adrian Teal on the podcast. Dr. Fitzharris is one of the world's finest medical historians. She was on the podcast last year to talk about her extraordinary book, The Facemaker. Adrian Teal is a brilliant artist and caricaturist, and together they have created a book called Plague Busters, Medicine's Battles with History's Deadliest Diseases. It is oriented more towards kids and younger readers, but it is an absolute blast to read. It comes across almost like a graphic novel. Uh, it's the right mix of caricatures and comics with solid medical history. So the two of them work together absolutely brilliantly. Talking about this book was a blast. It just brings up so many fun things and so many interesting discussions and conversations, having them both here to discuss it, to lay out the book, why you should read it. Obviously, links in the show notes all laid out for you. One other thing we did talk about, Dr. Fitzharris has been very transparent about her journey with breast cancer, having been diagnosed last year and hearing about her experiences in being diagnosed and treated in the UK is also another opportunity for reflection. And I appreciated her sharing her story with us in this time of celebration when she has a book coming out and is continuing to do great work to still have that grounding and that focus on how to spread word and knowledge, insight, and motivation to everyone during Breast Cancer Awareness Month. That is much appreciated. You're going to absolutely love listening to both of them. I have a link in the show notes to Dr. Fitzharris' previous appearance on Explore the Space podcast. And of course, you can check out the entire archive of Explore the Space, www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. And you can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Always great to hear from readers on whichever platform you like. And wherever you like to download your podcast, please do subscribe to Explore the Space podcast. That really helps us out. Leave us that five-star rating and a review if you are so inclined. Also, really helps us out. It helps to draw more people to the show. And obviously, you 
sharing the show with your friends, your colleagues, and your family. Always much appreciated. So without further ado, let's get to it. Dr. Lindsay Fitzharris and Adrian Teal talking about their new book, Plague Busters. Adrian and Lindsay, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. This is exciting. I'm glad you both are here. Yeah, thanks for having us on. We're excited. Pleasure. Yeah, great. Do you both do a lot of side-by-side podcasts and interviews? And then do you divide and conquer? And which one do you prefer? Well, you know, I do a lot of podcasts on my own when I'm, you know, talking about the face maker or the butchering art, but this is the first time we've actually worked together professionally. So we're starting to do interviews and this is our, maybe our third together. Yeah. Your and third, learning, right. you know, not yeah. how to interrupt each other, which I do a lot. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> Very much on real life. Yeah. <laughs> We should we should have I should have given you guys like a little red flag to like hold up when it's <laughs> yeah. you want to have it be your turn to speak. Yeah, or something. yeah exactly. Yeah, somebody should hold the peace pipe when they want to talk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember Lord of the Flies, right? The the conch yeah. shell, the the or like the speaking stick or whatever it was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Learning how to collaborate, though, right? I mean, it's tough. And you guys have created this new book. For children, and I will say for children is carrying a lot of water because it's a book <laughs> all about plague and death and madness. It's awesome. Collaborating on this, if you were to have a bar graph, and I ask this because my son who's seven is learning how to do bar graphs in school. If you were to have the bar graph of like things that made us laugh out loud, things that made us say maybe we shouldn't put this in here, and then arguments about the process, acknowledging that you also are together – what would that bar graph sort of look like? That's such a great question because I feel like, I mean, we're, we actually were, so the, the first book is called Plague Busters and we actually have a second children's book that we're working on called Dead Ends, which is about medicine's great failures. And oh, we started wow. writing, which is going to be, which is dark. <laughs> and we started writing about, I can't, uh, lobotomies. Oh, uh, lobotomies. And yeah. I thought, is this too dark no. for kids? And you're, you're <laughs> my, my, my opinion is, not my opinion. This is a fact. This is a scientific fact. Kids, oh, right. kids are horrible, right? <laughs> so, so you, there's. An, I don't think. I mean, with a few notable exceptions, I think there's not much you can't talk to kids about. No, so they the, do. The they they do tend to love dark history, and I think it's the parents that get nervous, right? Because, right. like, as a ten-year-old. Yeah, I used to read Stephen King and my grandma would just, you know, freak out over that. So I do think kids love it. I think the darker, the better yeah, for kids, but absolutely. maybe not necessarily for parents. Yeah. My son is seven. This book arrived in the mail. Thank you for uh, the copy. I will bring it when I visit because you both need to sign it. <laughs> Lindsay knows this. Like I harangued her for signed <laughs> copies of the, of the face maker and I now have three. So I scored. <laughs> my son opened it and he pulled it out. And he went unhinged. He was so excited. And I was like, sweetheart, you got to let me peruse this. You're seven. (laughs) This might be a lot. I'm glad that I did because I might (laughs) suggest that seven is a little early. That is a little early. He's going to love it. There were a couple of spots where I busted up laughing in like joy and shock and delight (laughs) at like 12 year old Mark seeing this book. Adrian, we are just meeting for the first time. Try to guess one of them. <laughs> that's a good. Is it? It's your. It was your art. It was your art that it was. No. That, that's why I'm asking you. Okay. Well, that's tricky because I'm not the best judge of my own art. So, it's but something tricky. that's funny. Was it yeah. one of the jokes? 
The one that really made me jump uh, out of my chair was the rabies hydrophobia one. Oh, yeah. The dog is, like, leaping out of the page. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That See, was pretty again, great. Scary. And we loved putting rabies. I mean, so basically, the book is, is divided into six diseases. For, and it was hard to kind of decide what those diseases would be as well. I mean, to some extent we didn't want to keep telling the same story over and over again. So like right. vaccine solved it. So we were trying to, so we yeah, had- Yeah, you have to pick the diseases that got the best stories behind them. Yeah, so we had scurvy, which was yeah. an unusual- I was going to say, I'm glad you had scurvy. Actually, Lindsay was kind of yeah, on, I was the on the fence. I don't know if we should do, but honestly, there's so many great stories around scurvy. You can't not- I just you didn't know. think it was terrible enough, but then you no, convinced me. So tell, tell everybody terrible. about what happened to your body well, you, when... Basically, you fall apart. Yeah. I mean, you literally fall apart. because <laughs> You literally and, fall apart. You literally yeah. fall apart. And, and wounds that, that you had maybe 20 years ago, you know, the scars start opening yeah. up again. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if you've broken bones and the bones will snap again, it's really horrific. Your and teeth fall like, out of your head. It's yeah, tremendous. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's really start. spectacular. It's really horrific. Your gums swell and everything. It's really terrible. I mean, do you ever I, I, see scurvy? Today? You know, it's a great question. No, in, in in the Western world, it's pretty uncommon. So scurvy is a vitamin C deficiency. And I'm going back to like med school and learning about all of this sort of stuff. It's it's really interesting. It's what's called a cofactor in the formation of connective tissue, the stuff that literally holds things together, holds yeah. your teeth into your gums and all of that sort of thing. Um, it's really difficult in the Western diet. If people have like a really profound malabsorption syndrome or something like that, maybe um, it's easy to supplement. And so I've personally never seen a case of scurvy. There's like case reports of it that pop up in the medical literature from time to time. But it's nothing like it was where it's like the <laughs> it was Royal everywhere. Navy is at risk of literally coming <laughs> apart at the seams because all their sailors are literally coming apart at the seams. Well, I mean, nearly all their sailors. And that's absolutely yeah. true because it actually killed more people than any other disease or war or injury. You know, any of those combined, it killed more, more sailors than anything else. So, more Lindsay, sailors, not more people. Yeah, not more people. No, yeah. more sailors. Lindsay, you narrate the story, uh, the origin story of Limey. Why don't you share the anecdote of why? Oh, Actually, that was, that was one Limey. of yours that you found. Yeah, well, the, was, the, the, the British ships, the, the idea was that you should have limes on board because they contain vitamin C. Although, weirdly, they don't contain as much vitamin C as many other things. So they're, they're, they're actually the vitamin C content is quite low. But the ships that they went that they went onto, they were known as lime juices. Um, that was the, the slang for British ships. And then it became it was sort of contracted to limeys. So that's why Brits are known as limeys to, to America. Well, really interestingly, we were uh, being interviewed by a doctor named Will Flannery. He's got a podcast called Knock Knock High. Hey, he said at the yeah. beginning of his his medical. Uh, residency, somebody did come in with scurvy. And oh, I can't yeah. remember the details, but it, the the funny thing he said was, and I knew it was scurvy because I was the smartest I would ever be because I had just come out of <laughs> oh, med school. Totally. Oh, right? yeah. And then you kind of forget some of that. <laughs> kind of forget is is generous. The what, what my first boss told me when I finished residency, actually, is this is the smartest you're ever going to be. You're going to dumb up quick. I was like, that's oh, funny. It's my yeah. first job. I'm like, oh, I'm, uh, that's terrible. But anyway. So uh, when you're talking about diseases that have we haven't seen in a while or been eradicated, right. actually, the best line of defense is going to be the junior doctors who've just right. come out of medical school, right? Because they're going to be filled yeah. with that but knowledge. He said, he, I think he said when he saw that case, it was someone who was an alcoholic who was basically getting all their calories right. from booze. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't remember that. That would be the sort of place, right? It's a profound like malnutrition syndrome. I mean, it can certainly yeah. still happen. 
Um, it's just in in with in the Western diet where we're replete with so many ways to get nutrition into people. Mm -hmm. um, it's more challenging. When you're putting these together, did you go story first or art first, or was it like the roads are sort of moving in parallel? Let me illustrate it this way as you're writing about smallpox. Definitely story first. Um, okay. And we wanted to open each chapter with sort of a cinematic moment. So, for instance, with the smallpox chapter, we talk about the uh, a great experiment that happened at Newgate Prison in the 18th century. There were all these prisoners and they were given this option. They were going to be executed. They were given the option to be inoculated with smallpox virus, which is a terrible, terrible virus. And if the inoculation worked, they get to walk free. So it was, you know, the stakes couldn't really be higher. And I, and I always think that this would be a great opening to a movie as well. So we open each chapter with these really kind of cinematic stories. And actually, the inoculation did work. And I have to say that inoculation, I'm a medical historian. So when I use that term, it's something very specific. So inoculation in the past meant taking the actual smallpox virus and then inoculating the person. What happens later is that Jenner comes up with vaccine, which is he takes cowpox. And in fact, the term for vaccine comes from the Latin words meaning from cow, from cow essentially. Yeah. And so he uses cowpox, which is far less dangerous in order to vaccinate people against smallpox. And it's an incredible story. And, and when you think about it, I think, I think we said something like one one teaspoon of the smallpox virus is enough to kill every man, woman, and child in the face of the earth. It's the it's only human gross. virus we've ever eradicated. Yeah. And it is an incredible triumph in medical history. But I think, yeah, to answer your question, yeah, I think the story always comes first. And uh, and so as you, because uh, I co-wrote this with Lindsay, as I'm writing it, I'm sort of thinking of little things as we're going on. Well, that, I, I think I know what I might want to draw for that down the line. But very occasionally we'd, we'd change the text to, to help a cartoon along. So the octopus thing that I mentioned earlier on, we actually put, because I really wanted, I really had this great idea, but I just, there was nothing in the text that, that would help that along. So we just put a little clause in, didn't we, yeah. about, about, about the octopus. And, and also I have to say, Adrian is a caricaturist um, by training and by, by, Heart. Sensibility. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. You know, I mean, his dad said that he, he they gave you a pencil when you were just, you know, so young and it was like a light bulb went on when you put a pencil against the paper. And so from a very young age, you were drawing faces. And then yeah. he um, did an apprenticeship with Spitting Image, which was a really popular TV show over here in Britain. And then they brought it back recently. And you've been the principal caricaturist for that show. So we knew going into Plague Busters, whatever the art was going to be, we wanted to feature faces and tell yeah. them about how we did that in one way. With, with regard to the bills of mortality. Oh, yeah. Well, there's, there is a section at the end of every chapter called the bills of mortality. Um, and in the old days, the Bills of Mortality was a kind of a list that was published every so often that told you who died of, of what and how many people had, had died of this, you know, of these list of conditions. But we sort of subverted it slightly and turned it into a, a list of people who died of the, the conditions that we talk about. Now, some of the people in that list you will, you will have heard of, though we might be quite famous people like Edgar Allan Poe, but some of them aren't necessarily <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe. Right behind but us. But some of them aren't necessarily as well known. So a good way to sort of give those people, those historical characters and personality is is through caricature because yeah. nothing is better is there is it really at capturing someone's no. character than a really good but character. we also say that there are two kinds of people in this world there are people who love to be caricatured and people who hate it and there's nothing in between oh, so interesting. some people really can't handle yeah. that that aspect yeah. well i'm i'm looking forward to sitting in the character caricature chair 
in your guy's home and and getting the professional treatment. My favorite merger of the three kind of pillars of the book that you just laid out, right? That evocative idea that the sort of cinematic presentation, the caricature that brings it to life and the narrative, the, the, the medical history behind it. Can I share my favorite one? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Tuberculosis and Doc Holliday. That was AIDS. He loved that story so much that that was really all down to you. And you just, really ran with that and also the care the, the illustrations for that were really fun too so good the one at the okay corral yeah. oh my gosh that <laughs> one's just the best but it also connected for me not just with a you know a disease process that is challenging and ever-present and fascinating and all of those things it was also as a pop culture maven right val kilmer as doc holiday right tombstone <laughs> in the sort of that cinematic space like that it was just so much fun for that to all kind of come together in that chapter. And was that one of the ones that when you were done, like, okay, this, I don't know. I had this idea that like in something like this, like a chapter based, you sort of finish one, like, okay, this one's rad. This one's yeah. the one that's, was that the one where you're like, okay, this one, we, we've stuck the landing here. I mean, I, I actually, I, I came away feeling that was one of the strongest chapters. I do. I, I, my um, worry with TB was that there was a lot going on in that chapter. And it, I, I there, felt yeah. it, it ran the risk of getting too long-winded. Yeah. I, I think we kind of reined it in as, as much as I mean, actually, well Mark, you'll, you'll find this funny. You know, we went into this and I thought, how hard is it? going to be to write a children's book about, I mean, it was incredibly hard, you know, kind of distilling, you know, what Louis Pasteur was doing. And I mean, all of these concepts and, and, and getting it into a language. And I I mean, I don't know if we, we did do that successfully. Hopefully we did. I mean, the problem with children's literature too, is there's these really weird divides. So this book is for eight to 12. I think eight is a little bit young. Um, I think there's a huge difference between an eight eight and a 12 year old. -old, There is right. I mean, but there, but undoubtedly there are eight-year-olds who are, are very smart and they can engage with it. So I guess I, I get that on some level, but yeah, you, when you say eight to 12, you're like, wow, that's a, that's a really, um, you know, big, uh, gap there. And you know, the science can be complicated. Yeah, And, and also you've got, you've only got 25,000 words to play with. Yeah. So it actually forces you to write quite well. You have to be succinct. You have to you be have tight. To yeah. 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 Tight. Yeah. Um, you have to choose every word very carefully. And the stories too, you and know. And the stories have to work. Yeah, they so, have to be compelling stories, otherwise it's yeah, going to fail. We ended up opening um, the book with a, a story that some of your listeners will probably be very familiar with, which is the story of Ignaz Semmelweis, who in the 19th century was trying to convince his colleagues to wash their hands. And there was this huge fight between him and his colleagues. Um, his colleagues called him the hand washer and he called them murderers. <laughs> and then they eventually put him in an insane asylum. And it was just this <laughs> crazy situation. And he ends up dying in the insane asylum. Yeah, there's no Hollywood ending. No, there isn't. And we start the book with this because it's it's a great way to engage with kids about hand washing, which seems so fundamental. You know, as a child, you're you're told wash your hands, and then to tell them that there was a time when people didn't not only didn't do it, but they ridiculed those who were trying to implement that kind of change. And I think that's a powerful story about you know. We, we think that we tend to think of science and medicine as these, you know, facts that are out there and, and they're indisputable. But actually, a lot of times these scientists and these doctors, they have to fight um, for the paradigm shift. They have to fight to convince people um, of what they're saying. Certainly with Joseph Lister in my first book, The Butchering Art, 
there's that whole story. So I think that's a powerful story for kids to keep your minds open to the creative solutions that others are talking about. Yeah, I think it underlines that thing. What's that phrase? The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. You know, it really does underline that. Yeah. There were so many paradigm shifts along the way. Right. Um, That hand washing could could land you in an insane asylum, you know, so. Anything that gets kids thinking about, you know, the world we live in differently. Right, exactly. Is, is, and that, to some extent, relates back to the illustrations because, you know, Lindsay talks about, Lindsay spoke spoken briefly about how, you know, she was a weird kid and looking at weird <laughs> stuff. I was a weird kid, you know, and I was, the stuff that I liked when I was a kid was some um, sort of Terry Gilliam stuff, you know, from Monty Python. Oh, yeah. the animations. Anything that makes you look at the world kind of sideways, to me, is a, is a yeah. fantastic thing as a kid. And, and that's what, we tried to do with this book, I think, really. Yeah. One of the subtexts that I found in the book, and as I'm hearing you both discuss this, kind of, it's it's an affirmation. There is definitely a subtext of the importance of advocacy, of the importance of pushing the things forward that are going to benefit society at large, that are going to change practice. And obviously, that's a huge part of the profession of medicine and of the life sciences was there an intention there to try to capture that? Or was it sort of after the fact to look back and say, ah, I feel like we've captured that idea well? I mean, it's interesting that you say that because one of the big things I've been going around in the UK, I've been doing a lot of radio interviews um, because, Mark, as you know, after The Facemaker came out, very shortly after my last uh, nonfiction book came out, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And talk about self-advocacy. And so I, I try to tell people this story because over in the UK, you don't get mammograms until you're 50. But what had happened was I was on a US tour. I met with a friend uh, named Tom Peterson in LA. He was then dying of a glioblastoma. And he told me that if anything ever felt off, I should push for, to get test. And so I came back here. I ended up finding a lump. I went to my GP. My GP really kind of dismissed it. And I said, well, I, I still wanted to get it checked out. So I ended up going to the breast uh, clinic at my local hospital. And that surgeon, he felt it. And he said, I don't think it's anything. And he said, in any way, you're 30. And I said, no, I'm 40. I had a mask on. You see, it was covering. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm 40. And he looked down at the chart. And then he said, oh, OK, well, in that case, we can get you a mammogram today. And I wonder what would have happened had he not you know, said that out loud. And so they did the mammogram. They kept calling me back, calling me back. And finally, the radiologist called me in and she started talking. And I said, are you telling me I have breast cancer? And she just nodded. And they did the biopsy right then and there. Now, what I felt was nothing. What they ended up finding was was an incidental cancer very deep in the breast. And they said I would not have found it for years, likely. Um, And that diagnosis would have been very different. So for me, self-advocacy is certainly, you know, at the forefront of my mind. And we were finishing up Plague Busters while all that was going on. In fact, I think it was two days after my diagnosis, you made me dress oh, yeah. up as a plague doctor. Well, on the cover <laughs> the- there, you see the plague doctor on the cover there. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't find a good enough reference photo of what I wanted to do online. So I said, Linz, I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to dress up and we're going to have to take some photos. So I could- So there was no there was no just adapting to the diagnosis. I had to no. get in this weird monk outfit. Oh, yeah, I, found, I found a monk's <laughs> costume online, a cheap monk's costume, and she already had, had the, the mask because um, yeah. we bought one in Venice. Yeah. Um, I think so- you've shared pictures of that mask on social yeah. media. I think I've seen that yeah. before. Yeah. So that, that, that is, that is, that is that quite a powerful coping strategy. That yeah. was quite a light moment in a dark hour, wasn't it, really? <laughs> but, so. but you know, I and I say to people, I was 
I was extremely lucky. Um, my diagnosis was early and it ended up being stage two, but I, I had the various genetic testing. I had the oncotype test. I didn't have to go through chemo. I had a brilliant surgeon at the King Edward VII Hospital in London who actually reached out to me because he had read The Face Maker and he's sort of at the forefront of uh, breast cancer care in this country. And so I was so lucky in so many ways. Yeah. And, you know, he said, too, that he wants to head to parliament and petition that women uh, should be getting screenings starting at the age of 40 in this country because 50 is too late for many people. Um, but yeah, it's just so I so I go around telling people, look, cancer doesn't have to be scary or fatal. You know, if you catch it early, it could be like my situation sort of done within eight months, you know, between surgery and radiation. I'm on hormone therapy for 10 years, but, you know, it's been a relatively straightforward case. And so, yeah, self-advocacy is, is definitely at the forefront of our minds now in this family. Well, certainly hearing that resonates for me with my family, because as my wife has shared on Explore the Space, obviously it's October, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so we, we like to make sure we're putting the spotlight on the subject matter. She shared her story. She was 30 and the similar situation where, look, I'm 30, but I have a family history. It's time for me to get a mammogram. Met some resistance and had to push to get what she had been told previously was important, and it was abnormal. And so, and as you say, right, it's a very different sport if the diagnosis is made five or 10 years down the road in these sorts of situations. Yeah. So it certainly resonates with, uh, with me and, and with my family. How much did that journey aside from the cover art <laughs> I, I sort of inform the process though, as you're writing this, uh, is it the sort of thing where you can look back on it and, and the, it's, it's all of a piece or were you able to sort of keep them separate because, you know, being diagnosed with breast cancer, it certainly seems like it can become, a very pervasive, a very challenging, a very scary and all consuming ordeal. Well, you don't mean together at the I, same time. Yeah. I, I, I was going into, I, I remember my, my surgeon is very risk averse is what we, oh, yeah. we say. And so there was a lot of biopsies. I mean, it felt like I was and just like constantly getting scans. On. Yeah. But I'd always go in and I'd be telling some kind of horrible story about medical history. To <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, who is this girl? Like, this is, this is such a bizarre experience. And so I had, you know, it was a great <laughs> distraction. I'd be like, well, you know, you know, Joseph Lister had to do his sister's mastectomy on his own dining room table you know I mean, like it's it's when you think back so as a medical historian i'm always thinking we're so lucky to be alive today and tomorrow it's going to be even better that's i'm just optimistic like that so i'm not one of those people who would like to travel to the past um you know playbusters will certainly convince kids that you know the past was a horrible place on some level and and certainly you could die very easily um so for me it was an interesting experience to become the patient and i did a piece for the wall street journal on the history of breast cancer um and talking about, you know, some of the the, the awful ways it was treated um, with the radical mastectomy up until, you know, quite recently. And now it's so highly individualized. They can do so many different tests so that now a lot of women get to skip chemo like me. So it's incredible. And we're just making leaps and bounds. And it, it is really a great time to be alive. And if you if you are one of those people who are listening who's been recently diagnosed, just know that everybody's experience is different. So, you know, if you go on the Internet and you start Googling this stuff, just keep that in mind. And also that we've just come so far that, you know, really this disease we're, we're conquering in so many ways. Yeah. 
you actually your diagnosis was actually quite close to the end of the process of playbusters, wasn't it? The, the thing it was, actually, yeah. The thing that actually we were in the midst of when we were writing it was uh, COVID. Yes, so, yeah, we, we were, so yeah, we're writing, that's right. We're writing a book about you know global <laughs> pandemics and diseases that killed, felled millions right. of people in the middle of a pandemic, which was you know. And what was funny? That wasn't lost on I mean, what was funny too is you know, as a medical historian, we, we study pandemics and these the sort of psychological steps in a pandemic. So the first is denial, um, and the second step is blaming or or naming others. So like, I'm not going to get it. It's it's an older person's disease or you know whatever it is. And um, so at the very beginning, I definitely was in denial because we had a trip to Thailand planned, and my dad was like, "This going. is happening," That's you know. He just and I got in such a fight with him, and I yeah, said, no. "You need to turn off the news." <laughs> and then, and then, medical historian, I thought, "Hey, maybe this is the denial part that I've studied my whole career." <laughs> of course, of course, it was. So, you know, it was. It's kids picking up plate busters will be so primed for these stories in a way that you know previous generations, me as a child, wouldn't have understood because they've lived through it now. And in some respects, it made writing it a little bit easier because you don't need to explain what a vaccination is or you know, right. what a, what yeah, a pandemic is. There's a bit more context is. there too. Yeah. yeah. There certainly is the sort of notes of optimism and humor that are pervasive throughout the book too, that even though you're writing about and illustrating very dark moments in human history and very traumatic things that have happened. It's done in a way where the context and the framing is it's better now and it will only get better as we go forward because of these mindsets, because of these approaches, because of the you know commitment to always improving. And then also having really funny illustrations alongside of it. I don't know. It just lends a certain momentum to the whole affair that as an adult and as a doctor, I found extraordinarily entertaining. I think for younger adults and for kids, it's going to be like proper inspiring. I, I hope you're right. And also we have to say, we don't actually have kids ourselves. So we hope that the book, in addition to being attractive to, to young readers, also just anybody can pick this up and yeah. learn a bit about medical history. Oh, and, for sure. You know, it's, it's oh, one 100%. of those books that, you know, you get all the little bit stories that I love telling on social media. So if you've, if you've been following me there, these are the kinds of stories that are going to be in Plague Busters. So we enjoyed that. We wrote and a book that we would have wanted as kids. Absolutely. And I think also there's a lot, there, there is a lot of hope in the book. I mean, there's some really dark stuff as well, but the point we're making is called Plague Busters, right? So really it's about heroes. It's about the yeah. guys who set out to solve these problems and they weren't, always listened to they didn't was necessarily get it right the first time around but they kept at it and that's the point with this and with any any global health crisis is there are always people really you know heroes who are trying to solve these problems the question will be will there be hope in dead ends <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, it's, it's funny to hear you say that about right the you know the barriers and the being told no and the the being i mean we had the nobel prize in medicine awarded yesterday to two Doctors, one of them, you know, Dr. Carrico, who had been like dismissed from her previous institution. And she's like, yeah. I think her quote was that I'm paraphrasing, but it was something like leave this lab untouched. It's going to be a museum someday because she had designed the backbone for mRNA vaccine wow. technology. Wow. That's now what we've used, uh, obviously, is the vaccines for COVID and many, many more to come. Um, mm -hmm. It's 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 a fascinating source. So as you were saying that we're still experiencing that today where someone whose work 10, 15 years ago was overtly diminished yeah. she's now going to live on as one of the great heroes of the 21st century and well-deserved 
Yeah. yeah, and I think also one of the stories that you know people will find parallels is the the skepticism amongst the public right now is quite high um, yeah. with vaccines, and you know that that's a struggle right now for for medicine to reach those people to communicate effectively about why vaccines are important. Um, but even in Jenner's time, you know, there were effigies burned of him, and people thought right. that. They were going to turn into cows. You know, there were caricaturists who were fueling <laughs> these fears yeah. to some extent. Like Gilray, he does a lot of these kind of caricatures of people with hooves. And, you know, so there. Adrian, they, if you do a caricature of me and put horns on me, I'm going to be pissed because now <laughs> I know the backstory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's it's it, we, we are always we're fighting the same battles to some extent. This is it's yeah. very You're fighting yeah. human nature. aren't you? Yeah. And, and yeah. I think, as always, with science, it comes down to communication, communicating effectively with patients, um, putting aside their fears, not just not dismissing them outright is, is also important um, part of that story. And I think when you look in Plague Busters, you'll see the people who won out were people who were effective at communicating. So you have Joseph Lister um, in, in my first book, The Butchering Art, and he's a fantastic communicator of germ theory and antisepsis and why we should be doing those things. Semmelweis was not a good communicator. He called his colleagues murderers. That is not a good way to win <laughs> friends over to your side. The other thing, though, is occasionally I like the stuff where people get it right by accident. Yes. Like, for instance, in, in the smallpox story, there's this, this um, thing about uh, there was a guy in the in the late Middle Ages, and in, and and then someone else slightly later on. And their theory was, well, you should you should dress him red. You should surround yourself with the color red. Right. You should eat red food. Um, red light. A red light. Yeah. And and when Queen Elizabeth the first of England, when she had smallpox, her doctor said, wrap yourself completely head to foot in red cloth. Now. There is actually an element of truth in this because it, it didn't cure smallpox, but we, there, there seems to be something about red light. In the 19th century. In the 19th service. century, somebody discovered that that if the red light penetrates the skin enough, it will prevent the scarring that you get from smallpox. It, it helps stops, produce it, the collagen. It, 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 produce, and, yeah. it helps produce the collagen that stops the bad pitting that you get with, with smallpox. So stops the stops the weeping and actually can fight some of the bacteria. So... Purely by accident, you know, somebody gets something right. And I'll I love tell you those what, moments as well. You if know. smallpox comes back, we're just it's gonna be all red lights in yeah. this house. Yeah. <laughs> you're, I was gonna say you're already prepared because you're wearing a very bright red pendant right now. Yes, I'm it's a, it's a heart, it's an anatomical heart. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> you're you're completely squared away. Yep. One, in that same space though, we're always making progress. We are not casting plague-ridden bodies over walls with a catapult <laughs> anymore so that's good no. that was the first that was the first art that i saw i was like wow this is gonna be rad i'm You're excited for a to wild ride <laughs> holy smokes it's a wild ride you know bi biological warfare was was an interesting aspect because even during the american revolution they used smallpox the british army used smallpox as a as right. a weapon against washington's army and washington ended up inoculating his army against the advice of the right. Second Continental Army. And because, you know, inoculation was risky. Again, we're talking not vaccine, inoculation. So he was using the smallpox vaccine. And what could happen was you could develop a full case of smallpox, which was incredibly contagious. 
and, you know, could spread like wildfire. So it did come with risks. Um, but he ends up doing it. And really, that's one of the reasons why Washington is able to win the war, because we, the, the I say we, I look at Adrian, I say we, I, I'm on both sides. I was say. <laughs> we're being decimated by, by way, I just want to say, Anytime you want to come back into the fold, we'll be very glad. <laughs> I don't oh, know. That's you, awesome. You're you just crazy see, right now. <laughs> you'll see the error of your ways. All you right. Guys keep sending us, you guys keep sending us bills for the tea that was dumped in Boston Harbor. That always cracks yeah. me up. Yeah. <laughs> this book is a blast. You both are fantastic. How do people find Plague Busters? How do they follow you on social media so that they can crack up following you like I get to? <laughs> Well, you can get it on uh, October 10th is when it's released yeah. and you can get it really anywhere. Amazon, uh, you know, Barnes and Noble, Mysterious Bookshop in New York online has signed copies at the moment. So if you want to get Oh, a now you copy, tell me. Oh, good. Thank you. Great. <laughs> I'll send Appreciate you. It. I'll send you a signed book plate. But yeah, they have signed <laughs> copies there. There's still a few left. Um, and, you know, Adrian and I are all over social media. I'm Lindsay Fitzharris and he's Adrian Teal. I'm, I'm Teal Cartoons, T-E-A-L Cartoons. Plural. So you can find there you them. go. What a blast. <laughs> I'm, I'm delighted to know that there's another book coming because I'm pre-booking you both now. Like, let's just lock Excellent. it in. Yes, you're, let's you're do that. Back on. <laughs> you guys write something and we're talking about it. because Well, you, and I got another nonfiction book coming out too, which oh. is going to be called Sleuth Hound. And it is about Joseph That's Bell. The, yeah. Yes. The, and, and Joseph Bell was the real life inspiration for Sherlock Holmes. So that is a couple years in the making, but we'll, I'll definitely be back with Sleuth Hound uh, when it when it finally comes out. That's the trilogy. That's the third book. That's that is the third back. book. Yes. I'm excited. I'm excited. This was a complete blast. The book is wonderful. You both are great. Thank you so much. Thank you Our so pleasure. much. Thank you. My thanks once again to Lindsay and Adrian for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. Show notes are packed. All of their social media handles and websites are there. Definitely go take a look. Get yourself a copy of Plague Busters. You will not regret it. It's an absolute blast to read. As we talked about in the intro, there are also links in the show notes to The Breasties, which is a wonderful organization doing work for younger women diagnosed with breast cancer. And also to a great friend of Explore the Space podcast, Dr. Ann Pellet, and her website, the work that she's doing in the Bay Area. Please do check those out. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. It's an important time for all of us to be thinking about this disease that affects so many individuals, so many families, so many communities. And your interest and support in listening to us talk about on Explore the Space podcast is much appreciated and never taken for granted. You can find the whole archive of the show, www.explorethespaceshow.com or wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit me up on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. Definitely email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.